0: Welcome to another podcast. Today is a very special day. We have a special guest. We have Lisa Welchill. Lisa is an actress, an author, a speaker. She's also a life coach, and she's also a very adventurous being from what I was reading on your website. And it's just such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. So thank you for joining us.
1: My pleasure.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being on here. We're excited to
3: have you.
4: Yeah, thank you for making time for us Mm -hmm. and uh, viewers and listeners out there.
3: I hope you all enjoy this. Yeah, I, I want to thank you for remembering this because it was such a chance meeting when we met you and it was like a very like fleeting moment. Uh, something that stood out to us very much so, but it was it was good that you actually remembered meeting us.
1: I absolutely remember meeting you. It was a, it was an amazing event. It was the Wake Up Festival. I think it was Sounds True's first Wake Up Festival. Mm-hmm. And I remember the evening. I think it was a it, did they call it trans dancing or was it just to kind of a great dance evening?
0: Like
3: ecstatic dance?
1: Maybe that's what it
3: was. It was out on the deck, right? The dance party? Yeah. I remember remember standing in line for, uh, I mean, this is just what happened, but I remember standing in line and seeing like people in line and what looked like kegs. And I remember thinking I was going to go get a beer and getting up to the front. It was a bunch of kombucha. And I was like, what is this? It was a blower.
1: (laughs) It was a great night.
3: Kombucha is
4: awesome, man.
3: It was just wasn't what I was expecting.
0: So that was a Sounds True event? Mm Mm-hmm interesting
1: it was it was their first uh wake-up festival i don't think they hmm. had very many sadly because it was an amazing event
0: that's awesome yeah uh sounds true like down the street from my house they're not too far okay like to start off how are you doing you know like we're pandemic and i just you know like to check in on our guests how have you been doing how has your mental state been doing Is your family okay? Are you okay? How are things with you at this moment?
1: Well, that's very sweet, kind, thoughtful to ask. I'm doing well. I'm a rabid introvert, so this has not been terribly difficult for me. Also, anything that causes me to be silent and still and clear away the clutter, I count it a blessing as far as just the work that I need to do and sometimes need to be forced to do is helpful. The hard thing is I'm a f- first time grandmother. My granddaughter was born last November. So she just turned a year old. And so that's been difficult because I live in Nashville and my children and my granddaughter live in Los Angeles. And so that's been difficult, not being able to travel as much as I would love to travel to be with them. And especially her.
3: Congratulations.
1: Yeah. On Thank being a grandma. you. That's awesome. yeah, yeah. It's been amazing.
3: I feel like we have to ask you something about the facts of life.
1: Absolutely.
3: So many things popped up like, um, all right, we can we can go we can run the gauntlet really quickly. So first of all, we'll say fondest memory of the show.
1: My fondest memory of the show would probably be just more of a generic feeling. And that is we had a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. We were kids. On the show, it ran for nine years, and we grew up on the show. And for whatever reason, they let us have fun, they let us be kids, and so we laughed a lot, we played a lot, we knew what we were doing, so we knew when to be professionals, so we knew when it was time to get down to business. But any other time, they knew that we could cut her—you know—we could just cut up, and that they didn't have to worry about it. When it when push came to shove, we would pull it together and do our work. So the rest of the time, we could just have fun.
3: Awesome. Uh, And so just from being a fan of Different Strokes and Facts of Life, was Charlotte Ray as nice in real life as she seemed to be on TV?
1: Charlotte Ray was not Mrs. Garrett. She was a a great lady and uh, we were closer many, many years later. We actually got closer after kind of after my deconstruction and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was more in touch with my brokenness, and so I could relate to her brokenness. I think we just didn't really connect before that. I thought that was about her, and that was about me.
0: Yeah, interesting. So you were already on the Mickey Mouse Club before you went to the Facts of Life and all that. So you kind of had this understanding what show business – working in television was what were some of the struggles that you may have found on set was there anything that like you ran into they're like ah oh, I just I don't like working and did you have audiences do the like clapping background oh, stuff love, and all that
1: oh <laughs> I love the audiences so come on why does anybody get into show business if not for the applause come on
0: okay that's true that's true <laughs>
1: Um yes, but in answer to your question, I mean, I had an ongoing struggle as a teenager, as a woman, as a just a normal uh, growing up girl. It just so happened to be on television, it wasn't allowed to have a weight struggle. And so that and, and certainly wasn't allowed in playing the character of, you know, a wealthy a debutante who was all about boys and clothes and looks. And so therefore there was way too much emphasis put on my body. And so that was an ongoing ordeal played out in the public eye and also behind the scenes.
4: You played the hell out of that role, man. Me and my brother loved you. We, we watched, uh, like Ali said, different strokes. And then you were definitely one of our favorites on Facts of Life. Like you killed the hell out that role
1: oh thank you very much i Mm. appreciate that thank you
2: we've been doing the work we're doing for a while and traveling all over the nation all over the world and when we saw you at the conference and you were cool enough to take a picture with us i swear like afterwards we were the giddiest we were like schoolboys again like oh my god
1: i can't believe we got a picture with her
2: it was (laughs) it was so awesome yeah
1: yeah. well thank you very much (laughs) i appreciate that
0: that's awesome So most people know you because you came up acting, you came up with a career path that most people kind of like dream about, you know, you acted at a young age. I'm actually kind of curious, how did you find yourself going in that direction? What actually led you into the path to act to become an actress? What inspired you?
1: Well, it kind of goes back to that, what I said earlier, just this uh, crazy extreme introversion. I was paralyzingly shy as a little girl. And my second grade teacher was so worried about me that in one of the parent teacher conferences with my mom, she said, you know, I'm really kind of worried about Lisa. She, I have to force her to go out on the playground to play with the other kids. She'd rather stay in and help me. And when I do send her out to the playground, she'll take a book and sit under a tree and read. And so maybe you can find some ways to help her get out of herself a little bit. And so my mom, you know, went into super mom mode and signed me up for a bunch of classes over the summer. I think I remember one of them was tumbling and archery and a bunch of things to help me kind of get a little bit more social, but one of them was a drama class. And I just really took to it. And I think part of it was because I could hide behind a role and I could express myself and these emotions that I was afraid to express As me, but I could play a role and it gave me the freedom and the safety to do that because it wasn't really me that was doing it. And so even in that particular class, we had a play at the end of this semester and we did the life and times of the PE teacher at our school. And apparently she was a little brat as a kid. And I got the, the starring role. And so I got to act like a little brat, which is, of course, something I would absolutely never do. I'd be terrified to do in real life. But man, I loved it. <laughs> and so I was bitten by the acting bug at that point because it gave me the safety to be all these parts that I would never dare be in real life. And so that's how I got started.
0: Interesting, And it's weird, too, because you're talking about being an introvert. And you became an actress an actor
1: yeah i know which is paradoxical
0: but the way you're using it is very interesting because you are hiding behind a role so you you're like this isn't who i am but i get to like act something i normally don't get to so you get to kind of play with this sort of way of being
1: right and it hasn't stopped there yeah i mean fast forward even to just even less than a decade ago when i participated in survivor it was the same kind of thing i think looking back realizing I wanted a scenario where I could be all the bad things that I would never do in real life. You know, I wanted to lie and backstab and betray and be conniving and sabotaging and all those things that I would never dare do, but I really secretly wanted to do. So I'm always looking for ways to be a bad girl, but not actually get in trouble for it.
4: I can see that. Okay. How did you enjoy uh, your time on Survivor? I always used to watch the show and, you know, I thought I would be pretty good at that because, you know, I usually am a straightforward guy and I think I would excel at that show. How did you enjoy that experience?
1: First of all, we need to throw out that sentence because there's no way the word enjoy could ever be used in the context of my experience with Survivor. (laughs) There's nothing enjoyable about it. It was miserable. So uh, I would not say I enjoyed it is, it is really a miserable, it was horrible. It would, it rained for 17 straight days. Wow. It was freezing cold. I was covered in bug bites. I mean, you're starving Everybody's trying to manipulate you and you don't know who you can trust. And I mean, it's just physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, just meant to break you down at every level. And so it is a a miserable experience. So it is, there's definitely nothing enjoyable about it.
2: But I can imagine like the mental fortitude, you know, it had to take it. And do you feel like that? That process going through that and having to go through all that, you know, torture and suffering that you're going through mentally, spiritually, did that open up stuff within you? Did that give you, you know, were there ever any glimpses of, of moments where you're like, it's hot and I got these bug bites and everyone's lying and I'm like in this, this torture area. But were you able to find like a a sense of inner peace within you in any of those moments?
1: You know, I'm going to have to say that I, I think the reason I made it 39 days, and so I made it to the the final tribal council, and I made it through. And I think it I think it has more to do with the fact that I I really was so fortressed mentally, physically, and emotionally, and spiritually that that was how I survived. I don't think I would do as well now. I've been on a kind of a deconstruction journey for the last 13, 14 years, and starting in 2007. So I did Survivor in 2011. And that was kind of another wrecking ball against my fortress. I don't think I could do as well now because I'm not quite as insulated as I as I was before.
2: That's amazing to hear. Could you expand more on that, this deconstruction that you're talking about? We definitely like to hear more about that. I'm sure our listeners would as well.
1: Oh man, I don't even know where to begin other than, you know, we all create survival techniques from early on. And part of my survival was that fortress around every part of my soul early on that kept me inside myself. And then just layers upon layers upon layers of that. And one of the layers that I built upon that, which I don't, and and I have to be really careful because I'm, I'm very, very grateful, very grateful for this layer but one of the layers was was Christianity for me. And that I became a Christian when I was 10 years old. And it was a foundation, it was a it was a bedrock for me. And it was a, a saving grace for me in a hundred different different ways. And yet, you know, those very things that keep us safe when we're young also, as we know, can begin to keep us small as we get older. And so it kept me safe. And I'm very, very grateful. Uh, because when I, I left, Cal, I left home when I was 12 years old. Which home was Texas to be an actress on the New Mickey Mouse Club when I was. Tw- 12 years old. My family stayed in Texas. They couldn't move with me because my mom couldn't leave her husband and, and my little brother, she came out to be with me as much as she could, but I had a, you know, kind of a rotation of guardians. My grandmother came when she could to join me. My mother came when she could, but for all intents and purposes, I was pretty much on my own from 12 on with various guardians to care for me. But I really did have a very, very solid relationship with God and specifically the imagery of God as my heavenly Father. And so that was that was my bedrock and my foundation. all the way until I was um, in my 40s, and then just there was a series of things that was kind of I realized, oh, there's um, this is too confining. Love is bigger than this. Love is bigger than this image of God. Love is bigger than this teaching of God that I've been taught. And it was really difficult to allow that to break open because I had to let go of a lot that had saved me, too. I had to let go of a a relationship that had really kept me and been a grace for me. And it was a grieving of a relationship, whether it was an illusionary relationship, whether it was a projection, whether it was my own making in a lot of, you know, to some degree or not, it was still uh, definitely a ripping apart of a very, the very fiber of my being. But with that came crumbling down a big part of my life. A lot of my friends, a lot of my values, a lot of my my career, just about everything had been built upon that. And so I've kind of been deconstructing since 2007. And I I don't know that if I've I've started reconstructing yet.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. So you said around the age 40. So you, you were like Christian from 12 or 10 to like 40. What felt constricting to you? What was it that made you feel like love is bigger than this, this like very narrow contained version of what I'm being told love is like, what made you come to that realization?
1: Well, it wasn't any one thing. I would say it's a multiple things. I would say my, uh, my gateway drug was a book by a Catholic priest, Richard Rohr, and his book was called Everything Belongs. And that was a book that was given to me actually by my the president of the Christian publishing house. I had written at that point 12 Christian books. And this book, Everything Belongs, just I almost closed the book because I think in the second chapter he said something about, you know, evolution. It was like, what? <laughs> Evolution? He believes in evolution? I cannot read this book. <laughs> <laughs> but as I began to read it, you know, it was like, wow, oh, this is really, it, there was something about it that was just drawing me. And that was kind of the beginning of the seeds of it, that every everything belongs, everything belongs. Nothing is to be rejected. And so I think that was the beginning of kind of the, More, I guess, if I were to say it, more inclusion, which, of course, then broke open the doors to the biggest, which is that Jesus is not the only way to experience God. (laughs) That you can experience, you know, God in not only multiple different religions, but multiple different ways. You can experience God in nature and in music and in just a myriad of ways. And then, of course, the inclusions of different ways of being in this world and uh, different ways of thinking, different points of views. And then Spiral Dynamics just broke it open a whole nother realm of realizing that also includes all my friends who still firmly believe in a very conservative evangelical Christianity, that if I believe in inclusion, And that everything belongs, then that belongs too. And that they are exactly where they need to be. And that's not hard for me to understand because I was there and I understood that that was good for me at a time. And that I needed that in my own wounding, in my own fear, in my own frailty. That in that moment in time, yeah, there was some negativity. I hurt some people in that space by believing it without a doubt but everything belongs. There was also some good in ways that it, it saved me and it protected me. It was It's not all good or all bad. And so it was really just kind of this wide open sense of just not having all the answers either. I would say that for me, Richard War. one of the things he says is that you need to pick, I like to learn. So I've learned a lot about all different kinds of, of beliefs, but it's important to pick one and go deep. And so I still choose Christ. I would call myself a Christ follower, but I don't call myself a Christian because there's too much teaching of Christianity that I believe is actually against what Jesus taught.
3: Mm. I like hearing that. Thank you for sharing. Very beautiful. Lisa, it's interesting you you brought that up because I feel like that was what I was thinking. I feel like a lot of people who, who start off as Christian and start to develop different ideas, they look at Jesus a lot differently um and his teachings and start getting closer to what Jesus is actually teaching in the Bible and away from what they've been told Christianity should be.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. When you look at what the predominant majority of churches teach today, maybe not all of them, maybe there are some churches again, it's not going to be all black and white good or bad, but the majority of churches don't actually teach what jesus taught they teach the traditions of the church and a lot of that's against the heart of christ and then a lot of it's also very cultural and there's no room for the fact that it's stuck in a time in a place in a culture nice
2: yeah no i you know i i feel very similar to kind of what you experienced as well you know i was raised roman catholic i had my first communion i went to church every sunday when i was a little kid and you know my shift was almost for, I feel like the same identical purposes, you know? Like I, I I kept looking at what they were talking about when I would go to church and I'm like, but are y'all reading the same book I am? Because in the Bible and when Jesus actually speaks, he says different stuff, you know? Like every message he says is pretty real deal legit, you know? But then it's almost like you were saying how the message that they were portraying isn't exactly his words. And I, I would always look like, this doesn't make sense to me. And and then I think just getting more and more deeper in, into my own spiritual self, This the concept of always looking outward. I felt like the church always had me looking outward and depending on them to be able to have my relationship with God or with Jesus or whoever. And I felt like that relationship could could be more personal. And And I remember even when I was a young child, my parents divorced when I was very young, but I remember... Um, like sitting, I can vividly remember me like laying in bed in my mom's house. I remember the bedroom, everything. And I remember that's when my parents weren't there. So my dad wasn't there. And I remember like talking to God and saying, hey God, you know, I don't have a dad. So you're going to be my dad. And like in that relationship, I don't think the church would have been cool with that. They would have been like, oh, that's not how it works. Son. No, no, you need to come to us. And then I'll be the the, the intermediary between you and, and your conversations with him. You can't just talk to him yourself. And I, and I, every night, would talk to him. And for me, that relationship was so powerful. And it's still a huge part of my life, you know. So it's interesting to hear that, you know, the similarities now. I'm sure tons of people, tons of listeners probably feel this exact same way about this type of stuff.
1: Yeah, and what a gift to have that at a young age for you to know that you can just bypass the intermediary and go straight to the spirit.
4: I know um, one thing that uh, stands out to me as a kid, uh, whenever we did go to church, it seemed like it was more, not all of them, but just some of the ones that we went to. They were like kind of fear based and they told you if you did this, you were going straight to hell and this and that and, you know, more fire and brimstone when like what you're talking about. Jesus in the New Testament, he was talking about love your brother and sister and forgiveness and, you know, some things that I could see why a religion would be made around this beautiful teacher. But like you said, it really seems like some of his messages get lost in translation. You know, in your opinion, why why do you think that is?
1: It gets complicated too, because I do think there are legitimate stages. And actually the Apostle Paul talks about this where he says that, that the law, which is what primarily the church still teaches, the law, But the Apostle Paul says that the law really was supposed to just be the tutor. And and there's a a scripture that says that, you know, that the law is our tutor. And when he's talking about this script, this particular scripture, he knew that the people he was talking to would understand that the tutor was meant to be the elementary school teacher that teaches the elemental things. So the law is supposed to be for when we are young, for when we are children, for when we are learning the elemental things. And so just like for my children, when they were young, I would say, you know, don't run out in the street. And if you run out in the street, there will be consequences and you're not going to like them. Well, that's fear-based. But also I'm not going to say to my two-year-old, now, honey, if you run out in the street, you don't know, There's might be a big heavy thing with wheels that come around the corner and it might hit you and that might hurt real bad. You get a big real boo-boo. No, I'm not gonna say that. I'm gonna say, don't run out in the street or you'll be inside and you won't be playing with your toys the rest of the day. You know, there's a place for it when we're young. But there's also a time that you put away childish things. There's a time that you outgrow the law. There's a time where you where the law, where those elemental things, where you where you realize where the st- where the structure, where the foundations are in place, and then you need to take the structures on the outside. They need to be internalized, and then it needs to come from the inside out, not the outside in. The problem is is that the church wants to keep it where it's the outside in because then you they can control you. Then you can be controlled. They don't like messy. Because then you might mess up, then you might sin, then you might not follow the rules, then you might get in trouble. Well, they're supposed to be that's where grace is supposed to show up, that's where forgiveness is supposed to show up. That's where supposedly their interpretation of Jesus dying on the cross, where their interpretation of atonement is supposed to be covering those quote unquote sins, but apparently not because that's where they say, no, now you're going to, you know, go to hell for it. So it's like a picking and choosing at at that point. So I'd say if you put it on a blackboard, yeah, there's a place for a little bit, not really fear-based when there's young, that you do kind of learn the elemental things of like, yeah, don't hit your brother. Don't kill your mother. Don't steal from your sister. You know, don't, don't go, don't try to get, collect a bunch of stuff when there's poor people around the, you know, on the next street over. Yeah, let's learn those elemental things. And then when we've learned those elemental things, let's internalize the law of love in our heart. So we don't do the things because we love each other, not because somebody outside or from the pulpit tells us not to do them, but just because we don't want to do them because we realize our mo- everybody's our mother, our sister, our brother, our neighbor.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Like having the mental discernment to realize what is good and what is bad and to come to a place in yourself to define that, you know, like I always had this question because there's so many different ways to love, how to love. Unconditional love shows up a little bit differently than just like, I love you you know, unconditional is always making the best decision for whoever's around you and not for yourself. And I've always felt that to be a very discerning moment when, you know, you're in an argument with someone and you're like, what would unconditional love say in this moment? And what it normally says is like, I care for you and I want you to succeed. But here's some things we need to discuss for us to work out what's in the future for us. So, I love hearing the guidelines, you know, they're kind of like rules of engagement of how to move forward. But then from there, then we are given the key to our minds, to our hearts, to make our own decisions from there based upon the outline that we were given. And I love how you approach that.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you. And you brought up a good point, though, when as it applies what I've run into, as it, apply, as it applies to a distortion, another distortion that I think... And I'm going to say churchianity rather than Christianity, because I do think there's a distinction.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And that I think there's way too much kind of, you can interchange unconditional love in the church with codependency. We've been taught way too much to lay down our life for our brother, that, you know, there's no greater that love than this, to, to lay down your life for a friend, and to, to sacrifice yourself for another, and um, unconditional love, and there's just a lot, codependency is rampant in the church, and there's so many, you know, verses that can be pointed to to justify that, and I don't think there is an, because we're taught not to look out for ourselves, but to look out for others. And we're taught not to trust our heart. And we're, you know, the, the scripture, the heart is deceitful above all else. It's wicked. Who can know it? And so we're taught not to trust our heart. We're, tra- we're just taught to be afraid of our emotions. We're taught that our body Unfortunately, there's a lot of scriptures about the flesh being wicked. Uh, one of the things I love is Richard Rohr has, has kind of said well, in the original language that the flesh is better interpreted as the ego, not the actual corporal body. But the church, you know, has just taken it as the body. So I grew up thinking, uh-oh, my body is giving me signals I need to just not trust. So therefore, I cut totally off from my body. I can't trust my heart. So I have lived totally in my head and I ended up living in my head, my mind and my will and thought my body was dangerous and my heart was untrustworthy. So therefore, this idea of unconditional love, it was basically just It was very, very codependent. It was just, okay, I'm just going to not pay attention to what I want because I can't trust what I want. I'm going to cut off my own desires and I'm just going to think, well, what's better for everybody else? And I'm just going to do that because that's what Christ would do. And we just lose ourselves. And why do we need a bunch of people just running around here, living for everybody else? Then what's the point of being the beings we were created to be?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess when I say unconditional of I sort of, I don't know, I'm coming to this realization that when, when I speak about spirituality, I have a uh, more of a Buddhist standpoint, more of a not original sin, but more of an innate goodness like we are all born with goodness. Our bodies are not wrong. They're right. Our minds are pure. I think some religions kind of come out with this original sin. You are born a sinner. You you have to repent the whole time. So when I say unconditional love, the first love starts with you and your values and your meaning and your things that represent who you are. And then from there, then we, we move it out. So there's like an origin spot of where it starts and then it kind of like – Goes out from there, but yeah, it's it's really interesting to hear how how you said the body is the ego. I was I was kind of feeling that,
1: and I'm glad that you noticed that it all starts with our whatever our original definition is. And I'm glad that you're that you were blessed with having an original definition of unconditional loving love being from original goodness. You know, you're you started out from a a better place because I think. Many people who are raised in the church don't have that. They're having to kind of work from a place of believing that we're born bad. We're born in original sin. And and so therefore, unconditional love means we first have to cut off who we are and then pretend and act like we love rather than actually be love.
0: But those are conditions, though. Cause once you, once you start doing that, then it's conditions. And then you go back to the fact that like, it's like this facade of what unconditional love is because when you love someone, think about all the conditions you put on them. And then you're like, okay, that's conditional. So it's, it strips away really quickly. And you're like, damn, (laughs) am I doing
1: it right? It's, oh my gosh, it's so true. And it's, I have had to really kind of look in the mirror under fluorescent lights and be humiliated at what hypocrisy I have lived thinking I was the opposite of a hypocrite because I have been, I have lived a life that looks at face value about as close to, and this sounds really egotistical, but I'm, I'm, I want to clarify a little bit. I have lived a life that looks on from the outside, pretty darn near perfect. And that's because I have cut off my heart and my body and lived out of my mind and my will. And I have acted the part of a good Christian woman. And that's not hard to do if you don't have your body and your heart pulling you away. And if you really feel like, you know, your life depends on it and you're going to be thrown in hell otherwise, I've made good, righteous, godly church, God bearing choices up until I was 40 <laughs> and, uh, and really made these, these, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I didn't say the F word until I was like 40 something. Oh my gosh. And, uh, <laughs> I know, right. It's <laughs> crazy.
0: We, we have an adult <laughs> podcast, so we can just go ahead and go for it. <laughs>
1: But when I, you know, even I mean, even recently just seeing it's like, oh, my goodness, what a hypocrite, because it was all acting. You know, I was acting the part of a good godly person because everything went through a filter of is this good? It's the filter of what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus wouldn't do that. Well, I was acting like Jesus, but, you know, where the fuck was Lisa?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love it.
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, know, it makes me think, too, because I can only imagine how many other people had gone through the same exact thing or are continuing to go down that path. I mean, you from 10 to 40, that's a good amount of time that you're, you know, you were like living in this world. You are you were doing that acting. And I'm sure you, you probably agree, maybe not, but you know, Hey, everyone has their path and they have to do what they have to do to experience what they're experiencing. But at this point, now that you have come to this realization and you can hear your knowledge and the research and work you've done when you're speaking on this, you can hear your experience and how this wasn't just on a whim. Like you're like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm changing things up right now, right? You know, and you can tell, you know, you've been putting some time in this. Do you consider yourself as someone who who could possibly be a voice for other people that had gone through what you've gone through, that experienced or are continuing to experience this, and kind of maybe shed some light or opens open their eyes to another path or 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 to maybe see that they were acting or they weren't being their real self. Do you kind of feel like you're now in a position where you're able to do that or that maybe that's where the the universe is guiding you at this point, that maybe that's something you should start doing?
1: I don't know. I have been really, really hesitant and slow to speak out. I mean, I'm 57 and this started almost 14 years ago. So as you can tell, I've been very, very slow Uh, This is actually my very first podcast to speak about this. I did a a podcast on a, a Christian podcast. that's a little bit more progressive. And I talked a little bit more about this about a month ago, you know, not to this degree, but a little bit more. So I'm kind of just answering. If someone calls and asks to talk, I'll talk. I'll answer the questions. I'm not pursuing it. I'm not writing. I've written about Some of the things just in my own writings, I I took a, in 2016, I took a year kind of a, I call it my interior journey. And so I took in July of 2016, I went on a 30 day silent retreat. And then in August of that year, I went on uh, to Peru and I did four ayahuasca ceremonies. And then in uh, September, I walked the Camino de Santiago, the 500 miles across the top of Spain. And then I went in later that year to a 30-day trauma treatment center. So I did like six months, a lot of really deep inner work. And I've written about that just for my my own self. And I've thought about perhaps publishing it, but one of my hesitations is I wrote I wrote 12 books, uh, faith-based books, and s- some of them, you know, I don't regret, but there's some things I do regret. And so I hesitate because, you know, a lot of times people, you know, they read things and think, well, it's in print, it's got to be it. And so I have been slow to put anything out there because a lot of what I've been learning you know, I can learn one thing one week and then feel something totally different the next month. And so I feel a great responsibility to anything I put into print. And so I have been hesitant to do that. So what I've just been trusting is the unfolding.
0: Interesting too. Cause like, if you have such a well-defined base of love, then it doesn't matter what origin you come from, you know, like I can find that fairly interesting. You've definitely sounds like you've written a lot of books and throughout that time, it sounds like your um, standpoint has shifted. One thing I, I'm a plant medicine fan, you could say, and or uh, someone who sees the potential in psychedelics and in spirituality and social shifting and just unconditional love and ego dissolving kind of bypassing stuff. And I'm curious, what was that like for you to do the ayahuasca? Cause I don't think most people who started with Christianity tend to find Amazonian plant medicine.
1: <laughs> I think that's a fair statement.
0: <laughs> Somehow you did, you know, like, like mama Aya, that is, that is quite a jump. It's also a, a, a chemical that is naturally made in your brain. So it's very interesting that the the deepest we can go psychedelically is something that is a natural chemical within our brains itself but can you tell us a little bit more about that experience like what was that like doing that medicine were you scared did you do any preparation dietary emotional, psychological, I'm really in, into that, you know, cause it's so, it's such a difference. Christianity, ayahuasca, like <laughs> and then everything
1: in between, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I prepare for everything. So yes, I, I definitely did a lot of preparation and I did the 30 day silent retreat right before I went. And so I was very prepared and I, um, yes, you could say it is very different from Christianity, but even though Christianity was my path growing up, it was just my path. The spirit has always been my stream. So I remember as a three-year-old running into my bedroom and picking up a picture Bible book and throwing myself across my bed. And I was in love with the illustrated picture of Jesus. And and I could read at three. And so I would read those books in, for comfort. And I, I walked down to the little church by myself when I was 10. I wasn't raised in a church going home. I went to the church by myself. I had a little friend spending the night with me. Uh, on a Saturday night. And she, she said, wouldn't it be fun to get all dressed up and go someplace together? And I said, you know, it was like, there's no places you can go very (laughs) by yourself (laughs) at ten, even way back then. And um, she said, well, why don't we go to that little church in the morning? And I'd never been to the church. I'd only gone to church one time before that uh, with my father In a work, somebody had invited him to a revival. And I walked into that church when I was eight and I cried the whole time and I was embarrassed and didn't want to go back because I thought I was going to cry the whole time. So I've always been very, very sensitive to the spirit. And so when I walked into that church when I was 10, I couldn't have put these words to it, but I knew that my heart had found its home. And the Sunday school teacher told me that what I was feeling was the love of Jesus, and that I could pray, and I could ask Jesus to come into my heart, and I could take that love home with me. And I said, well, I want that. And I prayed, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And that was how it was introduced to me, and that's how I was, you know, introduced to the path of Christianity. But really, the Spirit Was always reaching out to me, and I was always holding on to the spirit. And so, the spirit through the plant of Mother Aya was just another reaching out to me, and I was responding back. And I expected a little bit more nurturing hand than I actually encountered.
0: (laughs) Interesting. Because Mama Aya is supposed to be super gentle until...
1: Oh, no. But Mother, you did four... Mama, Aya was, Mama <laughs> Aya was not real nurturing and gentle with me. She just <laughs>
0: wring you out like a sponge or something.
1: Oh, <laughs> yes, she did. She spanked me. She's a spanker. <laughs> <laughs> she believes in corporal, yeah. corporal punishment. <laughs>
0: I've heard people talk about like the dominatrix nature of Mama Aya. <laughs>
1: Well, I will, uh, no, she, I will say my first night was all fire and ice. It was just, it was one minute it was fire. And the next minute I was freezing. It was just very symbolic. The next ceremony was all just me processing guilt lots of processing, a bunch of guilt. I had four ceremonies. Three of them were horrible. One of them, only one of them was like, oh, wow, the secrets of the universe, man. Yeah, I know everything now. Just download it. I'm so enlightened. What an awakened being I am. And then I woke up and didn't remember anything. (laughs) But in that moment, I was just, you know,
2: you were connected in that moment. I
1: was totally connected. <laughs> and then the, the last night was, it was a really weird night. The fourth ceremony was, the entire thing was just about surrender. It was like, I'm not going to tell you nothing. I'm You're not going to experience anything. This is a whole thing. And like, can you just surrender for the whole night and get nothing from it? Let's see how this works. And that was my fourth night.
0: And here you are.
1: And so powerful. here I am.
0: <laughs> so powerful.
2: That's awesome. What about do your friends and family, were they surprised you went on those journeys? Was that or or kind of the way that you had been teetering was on well, that side a little? Or
1: well, by the time I did that, that was 2016. So by that time, I had lost all my friends that would have been surprised. <laughs> I only had a few people stick around. My children stuck around. Thankfully, surprisingly, my ex-husband stuck around. He's still around. We're still great friends. I had a couple of, a handful of good friends that stuck around. I lost everybody else because, you know, didn't fit in the mold that they were still in. And that's okay. But the people that that stuck around that knew me, it was just like, oh, there goes Lisa. Going down one more, one more adventure. They were not surprised at all.
3: That's cool.
0: It just goes with your adventurous heart, I guess. You know,
3: heck yeah. Yeah. So I got a question. So like the Camino to Santiago Trail, that's more of an outward journey. Like we saw what you got from the inward journey from the ayahuasca. What did you get from the outward journey of, of walking the trail?
1: Well, I'm gonna have to say I Camino is, is more of an inward journey because you walk all day long by yourself so it's a more of a walking meditation you know you're just walking 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 i mean you could listen to music you could talk to somebody but my goal was for it to be every day for basically 30 days just to walk and then i would then meet strangers at night and have dinner and then go back to you know the the uh, albergue and read and go to sleep. So it was still going to be an inward journey. That was the plan because I really wanted all of these things to be very inward journeys. What I didn't anticipate though, was I met someone the very first night and we traveled much of the journey together. And that was not what I planned. It's not what I wanted, but it was exactly what I needed. And because I did, I can be very inside myself and prefer to be that way. But, you know, one of my favorite authors, Dr. Henry Cloud, he wrote the book Boundaries. And one of the things I read, he said is that we are wounded within the context of relationship and we are healed within the context of relationship. And so it was after having been the silent retreat and then the ayahuasca, and I met this Man, And he was a therapist, and he had just come back from doing some ayahuasca ceremonies himself. So we just kind of walked and processed all day long. And so there was just a lot of integrating the uh, earlier two internal processes together.
0: Quite a thing to be by yourself and in solitude and to like have the discerning mind go over the things in which your life has been presented and you're just like maybe I shouldn't have done that or like wow I'm really glad I chose that you know also I really liked how you said the in conjunction with the relationships of having someone there to process with and also having yourself to be alone with so sometimes it can go back and forth of like how do you boundaries and relationships show up for us. And what's interesting is like the boundaries are only as important as we are, are willing to hold them because we're all adults here and we can just be like, Hey, you know, today I kind of want to go by myself and I appreciate the time with you.
1: Absolutely. Very important.
0: We can say what we want, but there's just ways to say it to, to get what we need. But I really love hearing, (laughs) <laughs> I love hearing people's plant medicine journeys because it's so transformational. Like what else is going to dissolve this reality than, you know, like a near-death experience or a psychedelic one?
1: Yeah, I, I'm also a big believer in, in plant medicine Again, I was a goody-two-shoes growing up, so I never, I never did it recreationally. So I don't. I'm not saying pro or con. I've only used it therapeutically and for spiritual purposes. So I can only speak to it in that way. I have done a couple of different plant medicine journeys. I have yet to have one of those real transcendent ones where I've met God and the angels and soared above and felt universal love. I'm still holding out for one. Um, (laughs) but I will say that each one I have had as difficult as they have been, the benefit for me has been on the other side of them. As I've noticed that, oh, part of that big wall has been, there's a big hole been knocked out of it and there's stuff gushing out of it. So for me, what's been really, really important is to have someone skillful help me process what's coming gushing out of the hole and then how to integrate what I've learned either while on the journey and then how to rebuild in a helpful, healthy way. And so I have a great teacher right now and I've never, I've never had a teacher before. Most of, I've been a very independent learner and I have, you know, taught myself mostly just from books And been on my own singular journey. She has been walking me through integrating some of my plant journeys in ways that have been uh, so that it's not just the experience, which can be wonderful, but this is just exponentially. It takes the plant journey and experience and makes it exponentially more helpful and uh, takes it to a whole nother level of, of health.
2: When I was younger, I did a lot of recreational stuff, right? Just, just for fun, make me laugh with my friends, all that type of stuff. And now that, uh, you know, I, I, when I am doing this, I'm going on these journeys where I'm really focusing on going inward and really having that spiritual experience. And it's so much more transformative. I mean, the difference is it's light years away. And my recommendation for you for how to see those angels and and that God experience is just take more. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> larger dosage will get you going. Trust me, it'll get you going.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I am trying to follow this the same way I'm trying to do everything else in my life right now, which is trying to just follow rather than lead. I am by nature a, a leader. And I think that's because I prefer to feel my nervous system likes to be in control and therefore it likes to lead and so I'm trying to do the opposite, which is to rest and to follow. So I am definitely willing to do more, but I'm trying to follow the unfolding. But yes, I am with you and I'm certainly open. And I'm I'm also hoping that one of these days I'm going to have, you know, one of those transcendent experiences.
0: <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder if. Coming from a place of having many conditions around your heart with spirituality, with social dynamics, with relationships and with, you know, thinking that medicine is taboo or plant medicine is taboo. And then you finally come to it that there's like some like therapeutic process that you need to go through to get to the like they want to show you certain things before they show you other things. You know, it's kind of like you got to You got to go through certain chapters of the book the mental book before you get to the like, oh, there it is. <laughs> I think <laughs> you're the, absolutely right.
1: I think, you know, the, the overused, but it's overused for a reason. You've got to feel it to heal it. I think there's probably an awful lot of stuff I have to feel that's painful that I have resisted feeling for a long time that I probably have to uh, get through to get to the really beautiful stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's all there. I'm not saying, like, you have to heal everything before. It's just, it's a question to myself as well, you know, because I think sometimes we have beautiful experiences and sometimes we don't. And the thing is, is um, it's always dissolving of the ego. It's always, like, when, when we label it a bad trip or, like, an unfavorable experience, what's really going on is we're seeing things we don't want to, but we need to. And we're confronting things in which that are there that we've been so conditioned to performing in that way that we don't understand that it's getting in the way of like happiness, joy, love, like all the things that are yummy. It's just like, get out of the way. I want to experience pure joy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think you're also tapping into something that for somebody like me, who likes to keep things under control? Pure joy is a pr- pretty out of control feeling. So I may not be quite my nervous system may not be quite ready for it yet.
0: Mm-hmm. But that's you you saying it's not when it when it's built for enjoyment.
1: <laughs> well, I I hear you.
0: <laughs> I like that. It's the
1: reason, and it's one of the reasons I did ayahuasca in the first place because I I intuited that I needed something to blow through my defenses because I had done enough therapy to know. I even had a therapist once say, you know, Lisa, your defense systems have backup systems upon backup systems upon backup systems. (laughs) So I knew I needed something really powerful, you know, to just burst through everything I had built to protect myself. Because I was like, okay, I've put all this in place to to protect my heart, but I'm so well fortressed. I'm going to need something to come up in here and burst through what I have built.
0: I just had a thought. So what's interesting is, you know, you're, you're an actress, so you can semi-relate to this, but it's like through our lives, we're always acting this role in which we think we're supposed to be whether it's like a christian a buddhist a a lawyer a doctor a an actress like whatever your role in which you define is but then when you take plant medicine it kind of just like here you are and then it like third person's you so you 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 get to look at the thing that in which you're acting and i don't feel like we get to do that very often but when we do we get to see all the things in which that are getting in the way that are helping that are working that are not working and we get to really redefine so we get to take our internal dictionary and rewrite like what is what does love actually mean i don't know let's 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 redefine it you know cuz right now i'm feeling a lot and i don't know in some way it's like we get to see the actors in which we are because of the medicine taking us out cuz we're so into our ego and into the way of being that it's really hard to see sometimes.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And I, I would say that that was my experience on one of my journeys, but my experience, my journeys have all been very unique. And that was only one of my journeys getting to see my ego persona separate from my own identity just being able to kind of see it separate enough to watch it and go, ooh, yuck. <laughs> and now be able to, which is was great because it was great perspective because now when I'm in off, I'm not, you know under the influence of the medicine and I notice myself being identified with that ego I can recognize when I'm doing that and I can either do something about it or not. The other journey, they've been very different. Maybe that's because I've got a lot more stuff to work through.
2: You know, I always find that you get out of the journey which you're supposed to get out the journey. It's similar to, Ali always says that about meditation. When people ask about meditation, they're like, well, what do you supposed to get out of meditation? He's like, when you get out the meditation, what you're supposed to get out the meditation, it's that that time so you know who knows you, you need to have all these different experiences and they're all for a purpose if you haven't done one on psilocybin i would definitely recommend that one that's one where I, mm-hmm. I would say a larger dose will definitely give you you'll see things that your physical eyes usually wouldn't see and if you haven't seen fantastic fungi i recommend watching that documentary have you seen that i one yet? have
1: seen it yes and loved it was it. a
2: it was amazing it was amazing
1: it? yes incredible. it was incredible
2: yeah, it really mm-hmm. was. So all our viewers, if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's amazing. They're living all underneath us, and, and they're communicating to each other. It's incredible. It's powerful. Yes. Yeah. I haven't seen film. that. Yeah, oh, David, you got to watch that I one. know. That one's amazing.
0: I know.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful.
2: What about any other adventures? Do you have any other adventures or things that you have planned for the future? Anything up, coming up You know, for you? Do you have anything set?
1: Uh, well, with the situation we're in right now, I don't have a lot planned. just to get through it healthy. I I don't, I'm wondering, you know, I did so much, so so many adventures and so much. I think right now I'm just being still probably the, the adventure right now, maybe a few more plant journeys.
2: That's a little adventure in itself is being still right. So that, that's your adventure now.
1: It is, you know, I love all kinds of uh, personality typings, you know, Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and all that. I am an Enneagram three, which is the achiever performer. So I have been working toward growth. I'm supposed to go to nine, which is just being. And so that is, ironically, my movement toward health is not movement, (laughs) not moving. (laughs) It's weird how that
4: works sometimes. It seems like the pandemic has kind of forced you to move to uh, that number nine.
1: I know. know, Exactly. The
4: the beauty and the struggle.
1: (laughs) Exactly.
0: Yeah, like we all get this kind of check in with ourselves to be still for a moment and to like look how we're living our lives. And sometimes we move a little too fast and sometimes we're not moving at all. And it's really nice to just be able to look inside just to kind of see what's going on and to check in. And I always like the idea of redefining things. So yeah, Achiever, so many things that you've done throughout your life. And a lot of the more adventurous things seem to happen after, you know, you became a certain age. I wonder if that coincides with your uh, shifting of spirituality or defining of what God means to you. You know, they kind of all happen together.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I read a book called Hidden Blessings by Jet Cyrus, or I think that's how you pronounce her name. It's P-S-A-R-I-S, I I think uh, that is. And it was kind of coincides with a midlife transition time that uh, many of us will go through. And when I read it, she said that most of these transitions will take about 12 years. And when I read it, I thought 12 years. Wow. Are you kidding me? And it's, she was absolutely spot on about 12, about 12 years. And also I had a dream in 2007, right at the beginning of this. And in this dream, part of the dream, this is just one part of the dream. I pulled up to a toll booth before I coming to a bridge, crossing a body of water and the toll booth attendant said well that'll be twenty dollars i had twenty dollars to cross this bridge and she said oh honey this bridge is going to take you a lot longer to cross and cost you a lot more than you can ever imagine but you can turn around when if, at the end if you want to but you're not going to want to and that was absolutely very telling and very true
0: that's beautiful I like, so there's been something that I've been thinking about for like the last couple minutes where I, I just kind of want to say when it comes to spirituality and Christianity, we're not bagging on Christians. We're not bagging on picking of faith. We are empowering to think for yourself. If Christianity works for you, that's freaking awesome. You know, I've met a lot of beautiful, amazing souls who follow christianity catholicism judaism i've met a lot of beautiful people in many different faiths and i find that whatever you choose as long as you're choosing to be a good person take that route you know what i mean so sometimes it works for people sometimes it doesn't and i just kind of wanted to say that the fact that like we're not looking at christianity as a whole and like trying to say that it's, it's not a good thing. Cause it can be a good thing. It just depends on if you're being the good thing, you know, cause it all comes down to our personal discernment. And so I just wanted to say that out loud, just in case there's someone out there going to be like, wait a minute, I'm Christian and I, I feel like I have a good heart. And it's like, you do, you do. And we applaud that.
1: Well, thank you so much for saying that. And I'm, and give me a chance to say I absolutely identify as a Christ follower. And that is my faith. That is my path. I love other teachings. I love, I learn from other faiths, but I am definitely a Christ follower and love Jesus. And so I I agree. I don't always agree with the teachings that are predominantly in the church these days or what much of Christianity teaches, but I am 100% on board with Jesus and Christ. Well, Let's see. Yeah. Jesus and Christ are distinct, actually.
2: Yes, they are. Yes, they are. I love that you said that, too.
0: Beautiful. So, I mean, with all that said, is there anything else you want to, like, sign us off with before I say goodbye? Anything that you're thinking about in the moment?
1: I can't think of anything. I'll just say that I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you for, you know, for reaching out. I really, as I mentioned, I haven't been pursuing any of this. I haven't. I haven't been ready for this for a while. I have been afraid. Uh, this has been kind of my, kind of my coming out, you know, uh, in that in this cancel culture as well. I, you know, I have been afraid of the rejection from people who. <sighs> I have gotten some love from Christians for being kind of the poster child of Christianity as a, an actress in, in Christians. Like, okay, there are a few of you out there. Well, it's been really difficult to kind of be authentically me and say, well, actually, I, I don't actually believe everything that you believe anymore. I haven't avoided it, but I haven't been really out with it either. And a lot of that has been because I don't really, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not a, there, there are lovers and there are fighters. I'm a lover. I'm not a fighter. I'm, I'm just not wired that way. I'm also afraid of rejection. And so I have just not wanted to put myself out there. I've needed the time to be psychologically and emotionally ready for any kind of pushback that I might get and so i've just been trusting that the time would be right that when asked i would answer honestly and so i trust that you guys were the ones to ask and so i answered so thank you for your gentleness and for the way you've just and made this conversation so easy
0: what a, what an honor To be the guys that you come to, to speak your heart and mind, Like, what a beautiful moment we just shared. And it was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and speak to you and hear your version of your journey. And like, everything you're saying is beautiful and really organically natured. And I resonate with everything you're saying. And I just, I just found it so beautifully. And, And I think most people can resonate with it too. So I'm just stoked that you were able to share all this with
4: us.
1: Well, Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm glad it was good for all of us. <laughs>
4: yeah, honestly, I want to uh, humbly thank you for your authenticity. And I know that uh, your story, your journey is going to mean a lot to a lot of people of, of our listeners out there. So, you know, not only are we thanking you, but I'm sure our listeners are thanking you as well. Yeah. Just thank to put on that. Yeah. I can't imagine how many of our listeners
2: want to say the same things you're saying or in the same situation you are, and it may not have the strength to speak up or or may not be ready, you know, to speak up just quite yet. And I think to come from you and like I said, to hear that authentic, real voice, it's just, I think it's so powerful, so impactful. I think it's really going to be a game changer for society in general and, just humbled and honored to have you on here. Hope that this won't be the last time, hopefully a few more journeys down the road and we'll reach out again. And you'll be like, Oh, I got some stories to tell y'all. So, <laughs> so hopefully we'll have you on again. We we'll just really appreciate you being on here with us.
1: Thank you. Thank yeah. you for inviting me.
0: So with that, thank you so much, Lisa. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Yeah. Me such so. a pleasure.
2: Have a blessed day. Love you so much. Have a good
0: night. Okay. Or good you day. Too. Yeah. Take it All easy. All right. Thank you for listening to Look Again podcasts. Please feel free to share this content with your friends and community. Also, please consider donating to our Patreon page. You can find us at patreon.com and search for Look Again Podcast. Anything helps and we really appreciate your visit. Thank you so much.